Thessalonians, we'll pray at the end of the service tonight. Second Thessalonians is where we'll be in the back of your old, uh, your New Testament. And um, we'll get things started tonight. Everybody should have notes. If you don't, just raise your hand. Nathan will take care of you, all right, before he walks out. Second Thessalonians is where we're going to be in uh, chapter number one, okay? Good to see everybody tonight. Good to be in church with you. Thankful for you. I've been praying for you this week. Love you. And uh, uh, just excited the opportunity for us to start this new letter. We just finished up 1 Thessalonians last week. Uh, we'll begin this one tonight and uh, have the opportunity to get started here. Let's start reading in verse 1. We're going to look at the entire chapter tonight and just break it down. And uh, it starts out in Paul's greeting, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, son of the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. So that we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God, for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray you bless our time tonight. Bless your word as it is delivered and preached. And God, as we break down what Paul has to say here uh, to the believers and uh, praying tonight that you bless our children in our want ministry, bless those in the nursery, bless those that are being discipled elsewhere throughout the building tonight. Our teenagers are joining us this evening. We're praying for uh, BJ and Morgan while they're at the hospital awaiting uh, the birth of their twins. And uh, we lift them up to you tonight. And uh, we simply pray that you would open our hearts and our ears, Lord. We've, we've all been busy today. We've had different things on our schedule, taking care of responsibilities uh, lots of things have been going on, and now we've made the effort to be at church on a Wednesday night. And, I, Lord, I've put a lot of time and study and prayer in, 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 in delivering. I have the opportunity to deliver this message tonight, and I pray that you'll increase our, our understanding, give us a virtuous heart and desire, Lord, to apply these things, and may we grow in grace and understanding uh, of you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, so... Uh, tonight, I want to deal with the subject of don't give up. Don't give up. And uh, just some basic information you'll see in your, in your notes tonight is just, uh, just some 
uh, just some info concerning this letter from Paul. It is, of course, 2 Thessalonians. It's Paul's second Thessalonian, uh, letter to the Thessalonian believers. Uh, it was written around 51 to 52 A.D., and I'll just tell you it was written within months of the first letter that we just finished in 1 Thessalonians. You will find the beginning of that church in Acts chapter 17, in the first part of that chapter. Uh, it is believed to be written during Paul's second missionary journey while he was in Corinth. And uh, we, we read about that uh, later in the book of Acts uh, chapter 18. And uh, it is broken down into three chapters that contain a total of 47 verses and 1,042 words. And so that is just some basic information for you. Why is that important? Because every word uh, that is in the Word of God has value. It's important for us. Uh, to me, the theme of the book is the title of tonight's lesson, Don't, Don't Give Up. And uh, we learn from verses 4 through 6 that the persecution and suffering of the church that was addressed in the first letter had not let up. Remember, Paul was run out of Thessalonica, uh, Thessalonica because there was a stirring of people that didn't like him preaching the gospel, and uh, they grabbed some of the people that Paul was staying with, uh, but other believers made Paul leave town. And uh, Paul mentioned the suffering that they went through in 1 Thessalonians. And now here, look, look with me beginning in verse 4 of chapter 1 here in 2 Thessalonians. He says, So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith, notice, in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Do you realize tonight that we can suffer because of health problems, and we can also cause our own suffering by decisions we make, right? But that's not what Paul is talking about here. He is talking about those who simply believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, believe the word of God, and believe in trying to reach others with the gospel. And as a result of their faith, they are suffering for that. They are being persecuted, and they are going through all sorts of trouble. The trouble was intense enough that we see Paul using encouraging phrases throughout the letter. Let me just highlight some. Look in, you're in chapter 1, look in verse 11, okay? He says, no, notice the wording. He says, wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. So he's saying, let God finish what he has started in you. We know you're suffering. We know you're going through trials, but don't give up. Let God finish his work. Look in chapter 2 in verse 15. All right? Chapter 2, verse 15. He says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. So whether in the, the word that they delivered or the letter that has been written. 
He's saying, stand fast. Don't lose ground. Hold your ground and hold to the things that you have been taught uh, concerning the Lord. Then look in chapter 3. Look with me in verse 3. He says, but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. So he reminds the believers, God is still faithful. God is able to establish you in the faith. God is able to keep you from evil, keep you from, uh, from so much trials and tribulations. God is able to watch over and care for you. Look in verse 4, same chapter. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you. So we, we believe God can take care of things. And then look down at verse 13. You ought to underline verse 13. He says, but ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. So in all of these things, I believe you can summarize it by Paul saying, just don't give up. Keep going. Stay faithful. God is faithful. God sees where you are. God knows what you're going through. Just stay faithful in what you've been, what you've been called to do. Now, if you go back to chapter 1, beginning in verses 1 and 2, Paul uses his standard greeting to those whom he is writing. First, he provided in verse 1 the names of the familiar faces who are with him. He, he mentions Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus. Now, Silvanus is also known as Silas in other places in the Bible. He first shows up in Acts 15, I, I believe it's verse 22. And uh, when Paul was originally sent out in Acts 13 by the Holy Spirit, and, and the church in Antioch, Barnabas was his missionary partner. And in Acts 13, verse 5, they both agreed to take John Mark with them. But Mark didn't last very long. In Acts 13, verse 13, he quit and he returned early to Jerusalem. And so Paul and Barnabas went on without him. When uh, they come back, and uh, they spend some time with the church of Jerusalem, some time with the church of Antioch. And uh, when they get ready to sell out again, uh, turn your Bible. Do you have Acts 15 in your notes? You're not even looking at your notes. Acts 15, look in verse 36. If you don't, turn your Bible to Acts 15, verse 36, okay? Acts 15, verse 36. And I want you to see this, all right? When they're, when they're ready to leave again on their second journey... There's a division between Paul and Barnabas on who they would take with them. So look in verse, Acts 15, verse 36. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark, he went one way to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches. When Paul went to the jail in Philippi, Silas was with him. Silas bled the same blood that Paul bled. Uh, when Paul was down in the, in the jail at midnight singing praises unto God, Silas was singing the melody. They were singing in harmony with one another. And so they were there. 
And in Acts 17, when Paul was in Thessalonica beginning the church, Silas was there with him. And so when, when Paul is writing this letter, he says, you remember Silvanus? Uh, Silvanus just wants to say hello to you. And then he mentions Timotheus, and Tim, uh, uh, which of course is Timothy. Timothy joined the team in Acts 16 verse 1. And he did much of the lead work for the, pot, for the apostle and, uh, during the journey. And he was addressed, uh, he, he shows up in about eight epistles. Uh, two of them bear his name, First and Second Timothy. So, so th- that's the greeting. Now you look in verse number two. And, uh, or, yeah, look at verse two. He says, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I think I mentioned your notes, verses 3 and 4. I'm not there yet. He says, verse 1 and 2, grace and you and peace from God our Father. Uh, did I give you all a bunch of references there? Are they there? I gave you those references. We're not going to look them all up. But I wanted you to see that in Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, In those verses mentioned, Paul always says grace and peace unto you. He always brings that up, and it's always in that order. Because grace, uh, unless you experience the grace of God, there can be no experience of peace. Amen? And uh, before uh, you can experience God giving you what you do not deserve, um, you cannot experience the peace of God. And it shows up all every time. And so I, I, I did the work for you there and gave you the references that you can look up there. Okay? So let's break this down beginning in verse 3 and 4. We see here the recognition of the brethren. If you're following along and taking notes, the first blank there is brethren. Recognition of the brethren. Although Paul was not able to spend a great amount of time with the Thessalonian believers... He was there for just a little while before he got ran out of town. He still, he carried, uh, he carried a great deal of, for them. And what he recognized was the Holy Spirit was able to do an incredible work of grace within the church, even though Paul had to leave. Now, look there in verse number 3. He says, we are bound, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet. He's bound. He, he felt an obligation to continually offer thanks to God for what the Lord was doing in the church, but also because of their own faithfulness. I'm bound to thank God for you. Now, notice their recognition of their faith. He recognizes their faith. That's your next blank in verse 3. He says, we're bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because of your faith, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. Your faith groweth exceedingly. So he, he noticed, and he had to mention their faith. That the desire of every spiritual leader is to see spiritual growth in those we minister to. It's not to just see numerical growth. It is to see spiritual growth in every person they minister to. So you, you may not be what somebody else is, but all of us can be growing, right? We can all be developing our faith. 
And he sees that. And so he's recognizing. He says, I thank God for you because I can see that your faith is growing exceedingly. Now, notice the difference between the Corinthians and the Thessalonians. I gave you 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning of verse 1, and follow along in your notes with me. He's, he writes, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. He says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you are not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye yet carnal and walk as men. Now, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be approached by someone who has invested in you spiritually? Would you want, would you want someone to come along and, and say, man, you need to get with it, son. You need to get with it. You're not growing. We can't find you. I, I, I mean, the Bible is right there, and you just, you just act like you don't care. You just want to live your life your way. You are, you are carnal. You are as, you walk like, you, I can't even tell that you're saved by the way that you're behaving. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to preach 2 Thessalonians, and you're sitting there, and you act like you just don't care. Nobody should want to be approached that way, right? I don't want to be approached that way. To the Thessalonians, he is saying, listen, you guys are going through trouble. You are persecuted. You're going through tribulations. You are suffering. Your trouble is intense. And, and, and in spite of that, he's saying, I just want to say, I want to thank God for you. Because your faith is not just growing it is growing exceedingly. So the Thessalonians were by no means perfect. No church is. But despite their inward and outward struggles, Paul acknowledged the growth of their faith. Now that should say, that speaks a lot. So then he, he, notice he recognizes their love. He says again in verse 3. Read with me verse 3. We'll read the whole verse again. We're bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Now, charity is speaking of agape type of love, all right? And that is the purest form of love because it is unconditional and demands nothing in return. Agape love is the love that God has for you and I. Now, I give you reference, 1 John 3, verse 1, because that is the love that John writes of. He says, Behold what manner of love, that's agape love, the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. He's saying that is an unconditional, undemanding, purest form of love. God loves us so much that we should be called the sons of God. But then in verse 11 on down, 1 John 3 verse 11, is also the kind of love that we are to show one another. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That's agape love, unconditional, undemanding, caring for one another. And so Paul recognized that the church was abounding. Not, they didn't just have it, okay? 
So their faith groweth exceedingly. And then their, their love toward each other aboundeth. It was an abounding form of love. And he, he just had to recognize that. And then in verse 4, he recognizes their trials. He says, he says that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Paul's saying, I see you, all right? I, I, I see you, Darren. I see what you're going through. I, I see the kind of week you're having. That's, that's what Paul is saying there. He says, I, I understand you're having a hard time. I know that you've been going through a lot, and I see that. One simply cannot handle such constant pressure in our life without maturing spiritually. And so Peter gives what I believe are some very important steps to advance our spiritual growth. Look in your notes in 2 Peter chapter 1 in verse number 5. All right? He says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Everything begins with your faith, right? Begins with your faith in Jesus Christ. That's where everything begins. He says, add with diligence... Add to your faith virtue, the desire to do right, the desire to take what God has given you and do something with it, and, and add to virtue knowledge. And then in verse 6, he says, and to knowledge temperance, that's self-control, and to temperance, he mentions patience. Well, Paul just mentioned in verse 4 that we glory in your patience and your faith. And then add to your patience godliness. And then Peter says in verse 7, And to godliness add brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness add charity, agape love. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Now, what Peter is saying there is simple. You don't have to grow, okay? If you're saved and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're saved by God's grace and God loves you just like you are. And if that's your faith, then you're going to go to heaven. You don't, have to put, you don't have to put forth any effort to grow and spiritually mature. You don't have to do that. But Peter is encouraging us to do that. And so he says, give diligence. You start with your faith and start adding these things. So there is a process of spiritual growth that is, that is coming on. And so I may not be one when I first get saved, that I just love coming to church and I love being with God's people. I may not be that way. But over time, if I'm growing, my heart begins to open up. All right? For, uh, I see Art nodding his head back there. I was in ministry for 10 years, preaching and telling people about Jesus Christ. And I loved sharing the gospel. But I would sit down with my pastor and my pastor would say, you know, one day God will give you a church and you'll pastor those people. And I said, no, 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 no. I said, no, sir. I said, I love preaching. 
I love telling people about Jesus. I love pointing people to heaven. I love the word of God. I said, but I don't want people's problems. I said, that's on you. When I go home at night, I want to be able to go to sleep and not worry about everybody else. All right? God obviously changed my heart. Okay? And I can tell you the day. I can remember. I can take you to the scripture. I can, t- I can show you the place where God changed my heart. And he really started developing my heart an unconditional love for people. And that was a process of growth. It took a while to get there. But you get there. Temperance, self-control. I don't want to sin. I, don't, I want to stay away from that. I want to be brotherly kindness and patience with people and growing in knowledge and understanding of, of God's word. Listen, the point is, is this. Trials are going to come. And people that never grow, it is very easy to just say, I, I, it ain't worth this. I think I've told you before, I remember running into a young man and I asked him, I said, you still go to so-and-so church? And he said, no, man. He says, I gave up on that. That stuff was too hard. And I told him, I said, I said living a life for, for the Lord is not harder than ending up drunk somewhere. It's not harder than living a life of sin. I said, you forget where you come from. Okay? A person that is, has no desire to grow, it is easy for them to just give up and quit. And Paul is saying here, don't give up, don't quit. And they are not quitting because they have, they, have, they have charity, they have patience, they're growing in their understanding of the word of God. We're seeing all of this stuff happen. And the result of that is even though trials and, and, and suffering is coming in their life, their faith is still growing, their love is abounding, and Paul is saying, I can give glory to God because I see your patience and your faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. You are, you, you, you are not barren, you are fruitful in all that God is calling you to do. So that is something for us to, to, to learn from. Now, now, notice the righteous judgment of God. Back in your notes, that's your next blank. The righteous judgment of God. And then we're going to talk about the tribulations of the church. You see there's two different tribulations mentioned here. The first is the tribulations of the church. He mentions, let's read verse 4 and 5 in our text together. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 4 and 5. So that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. So they're going through it. See their tribulations. He says, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. Now, when Paul speaks of a manifest token in verse 5, He means that the sufferings that they were enduring for their faith was evidence of of proof that they were a part of God's kingdom. He says, you're going through this because of your relationship with the Lord. Um, If you don't have it, turn to Acts chapter 14 for just a moment. And I want you to read Acts 14. After Paul was stoned by an opposing mob of unbelievers um, and left for dead, the Bible says that he later arose, he went back into those places where he had been persecuted. 
He went back into Lystra and Iconium and Derbe and Antioch. And in Acts 14, verse 22, look what, he, look what he's doing. Why does he do that? He is stoned and left for dead. That means they took rocks and threw it at him. Okay? It doesn't mean that he was high on drugs. It means that somebody took rocks and threw it up. You, you ever seen the news in the Middle East? That's the rockiest place in the world, ain't it? Everybody's always got rocks and throwing at people, always. Well, they threw, they threw rocks at Paul. They hit him hard enough that it knocked him out, left him unconscious, unresponsive. They drug him out of the city. Everybody thought he was dead. His, uh, the guys who were with him are standing around looking at him. And suddenly he gets up. And he goes right back into town for this reason. Look in Acts 14, verse 22. He was confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we as believers must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. He's, God never said it would be easy to live a Christian life. God never said it would be easy. We'll get into that more in a moment. And Paul is saying... As he told Timothy, all those that live godly shall suffer persecution. Okay? He's saying that. So we can be sure that a life lived for Jesus will certainly cost us something. Go back to 2 Thessalonians 1. But facing eternity without Jesus Christ will cost the lost so much more. Amen. I'll amen myself there. Look. The tribu- now, now in verse 6, we see the tribulations of the lost. Okay? So, yeah, I want you to get this. Andrew, if you live your life for the Lord, if you are openly outspoken about your faith, you're going to find some people that don't like it. It's just going to happen. You'll find somebody. Okay? You don't, you don't have to call, call people out. You don't have to say ugly things. You can love people, care for people, just say, just even do this. I've been amazed at the times that I've gone to somebody's door and say, hey, yeah, I'm here from Somerville Baptist Church, and obviously they don't go anywhere, and I just ask them, can you, can you tell me how I can pray for you? And they get offended by that. I'm just wanting to pray for them. No, no, I, I, I do mind. I don't want to tell you. That's something simple. Now, if you live for the Lord, you're going you're gonna to go through some things. It's going to cost you some things. It cost me all my friends when I was a young teenager. It'll cost you some things. But it doesn't cost you as much as it is to live without Jesus Christ. All right? Look at verse 6. Paul warns the lost that payback is coming. Now, I'm going to get real serious now. He says, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Now he mentions in verse 4 that they are suffering persecutions and tribulations. But now in verse 6 he's saying that it's a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you as believers. Now remember we're talking about the righteous judgment of God. Now look in verse 8. Paul writes of vengeance, which means to give full punishment. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's, that's the real defining 
area right there. They don't know God, and they refuse, they reject, they deny the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They've heard it. They've heard it preached. They've heard it delivered. They've heard that all hope is found in the gospel, and they have rejected it. So this warning pertains to those who trouble us, those who reject God and those who deny the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and by choice are in danger of the flaming fire of judgment. Now look at verse 9. Verse 9 describes what this full wrath of judgment looks like. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Let's read that again who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So just as we believe that there is everlasting life, there is also a destruction that never ends. That's what Paul is saying there. We think about the eternal promises in John 3, 16. What's it say? For God so loved the... That's everybody, right? Everybody. That whosoever, that's anybody, believeth in him should not perish, should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life, okay? So, so God, understand this. It's not God's purpose or plan to, I just, I just hate those people over there, and therefore I'm going to destroy them from an everlasting destruction. No, God loves the world that he delivers the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that if anybody believes in him, they would not perish, they would not suffer everlasting destruction, but they would have everlasting life. Romans 6, 23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. How is it found? Through what? Jesus Christ our Lord, okay? So eternal life is found through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the ways of sin is death. Sin will bring death. It, there's a first death and a second death. We'll, I'll show that to you in just a moment, okay? So sin brings death. But eternal life is only found through Jesus Christ our Lord, all right? So there is an everlasting life. And therefore, there is an everlasting destruction. Think about, the, uh, think about dwelling in the eternal presence of God where nothing is corrupted by sin or Satan. Just, just think about that, okay? We, we live, we worship in the presence of God, okay? But we're still surrounded by the curse of sin, okay? We still have sickness. We still have dying. Our, our prayer list is filled with people who have very serious health needs. So I want you to think about dwelling in the eternal presence of God where nothing is corrupted by sin or Satan. A place where the Bible says all tears are forever wiped away. A place with no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, and no more pain. Amen? You don't have to worry about that knee anymore, right? No more pain. Imagine dwelling in a place where there's no need of a sun or a moon. 
because everything is lit up by the glory of God. Jesus Christ is the light. There is no curse. The fruit is perfect. The sea is clear as crystal. The streets are paved with gold. And we'll be more alive than we have ever been. In fact, when John saw such a sight, when he recorded it in the book of Revelation, he quickly stated with all of his worldly knowledge, his earthly knowledge, and to see what he was seeing coming for us spiritually, he said in Revelation 22 verse 20, even so come Lord Jesus. John was saying, I will choose heaven any day, any day over the best that this world has to offer. Jesus says, I'm going to come again. And John is like, well, what are you waiting for? Even so, come Lord Jesus. Uh, why don't you hold your place here? Um, well, let me take the time. Let me read Revelation 21, verse 8 to you. Even in the midst of describing such peace and beauty that awaits the believer with everlasting life, John warned in Revelation 21, verse 8, but the fearful and unbelieving, the abominable and murderers, whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second, the second death, the second death. It is quite a contrast. Everlasting destruction takes place in a fire that cannot be quenched. Jesus said that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be torment and an eternal flame. Mercy will be desired, but no mercy will be found because God will be absent from that place. Lazarus crying out for a... For a I'm sorry, the rich man was crying out for Lazarus to be able to stick his finger in some water and to touch, touch his tongue to give him some relief because of the torment. There'll be all kind of cries for mercy, but without God, there's no mercy. Paul says here, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. And he adds, and from the glory of his power. Today we're given the promise of John 1 verse 12. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Anyone who will accept Jesus Christ by faith today can be eternally saved. But no one who is experiencing the lake of fire can be saved. Because God's power to save will be absent from that place. The glory of his power is absent from the everlasting destruction. So God is giving everyone the opportunity to be eternally saved. And the point is, don't reject it. Don't reject it. Now let's wrap up. We see our rest in the Lord in verse 7. Our rest in the Lord. Verse 7 and 10. He says, verse 7, And you who are troubled, rest with us. 
when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Then go down to verse 10. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. As believers... As believers who are part of the family of God, we can rest in the Lord knowing this world is not our home. Amen? No matter what we may go through, we have the comfort of knowing that God is still here with us. I want you to look in Romans 8, verse 35. Watch this in your notes. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Well, the Thessalonians are going through tribulation. Distress? Man, they're suffering. Persecution? Oh, they're facing persecution. Or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Shall, shall those things separate us from the love of Christ? He, he goes on, verse 36, as it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37, Nay, in all these things, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us God's always there we can rest in knowing that there's nothing that will separate us from the love of our God just before his crucifixion Jesus encouraged his followers in John 16 verse 33 these things have I spoken to you and that in me you might have peace in the world you shall have tribulation but be of good cheer Jesus said I have overcome the world now think about this the unbelieving tried to get rid of him by killing him, but the grave could not hold him. The unbelieving tried to spread lies concerning his resurrection, but those who saw him alive boldly testified that he was risen. The unbelieving, through threat of persecution, have tried to silence the voice of those carrying the message of hope containing the gospel, but it is continuing to be preached today. Therefore, the unbelieving will scoff at the talk of the Lord's return, but one day they will see us coming with him in all of his glory. Amen. He mentioned there in verse 10, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. So no matter what we're facing today or what valley we'll walk through tomorrow, we can find rest in the Lord knowing that Jesus is coming again. Amen? He's coming again someday to eternally separate those who know him from those who don't. And if we know him, we should be glad. And for those who don't, there ought to be a lot of fear. Let's close at verse 11 and 12. Paul, he, he finished up this chapter encouraging the church to stick with it. Encouraging them to not give up. And by God's grace to allow the Lord to finish his perfect work so that he, the world, may see his name glorified in us. He says, verse 11, Wherefore also we pray always for you. Knowing what he knows, we pray always for you. That our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you glad you're saved tonight? (laughs) 
Do you, do you, do you get it tonight? I, I, realize, I realize living for the Lord is not always easy. I, I realize that sometimes it costs us a little bit. But do you remember when you were without God and without hope? Being saved, being saved never costs us more than that. There is an everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the power of God is removed from those who reject him. Don't give up, Ronnie Ferguson. God's too good for that. Amen? And I want you to consider this. Hannah, I want you to consider this right here. I want you to consider if the Lord did so much for you, if the Lord did all these things for you and he delivered you from these things, right? Man. I know that we can never be perfect. I realize that. But don't, don't you want your life to be worthy for what God has done for you? God, I, I, I'm, never, I'm never worth it. I'm never deserving. But I do want to surrender it all to you. The Thessalonians teach us, don't give up. Stick with it. Let God finish his perfect work. Now, next week when we get into chapter 2, we're going to be looking at the Antichrist. We're going to be looking at the day of Christ. We're going to be looking at um, of, of, of the things that are going to be showing up as the tribulation period is coming. Things are winding down here. And uh, Paul wants to deal with that subject. And uh, we've got a lot of things to look at next week. And uh, those who are going to deny Christ and deny the truth and, 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 and believe a a lie rather than believe truth. We're going to be looking at that next week and uh, seeing what God has in store. Father, I pray tonight for your um, for you to help us. Lord, I, I realize tonight that all of us are pretty much going through different things in our life. We're facing tr struggles and trials. Most of us are not facing what the Thessalonians face, though. They weren't suffering for their faith. They, they were suffering for their faith. They were troubled deeply every day because they have chosen to accept Christ and live for him. They were facing persecution. They were facing tribulations. They were, they were going through many, many trials. But in the midst of that, their faith was growing their testimony was growing. Their church was growing. Their love for one another was growing. Their patience and faith was growing and bringing you glory. So I'm praying tonight for our church family, whether they're here, whether they're watching live stream, or whether they're somewhere else tonight doing something else. Lord, I am praying tonight that no matter what we're going through, that we don't use it as an excuse to lay down a little bit, to, to even get to the point where we quit, that we just don't want to put forth the effort anymore. Lord, 
many Christians have suffered much more than we have and went on to do great things for you and brought great glory to your name. Help us, Father, to stick the course, to not be weary in well-doing, to not give up, but to continually bring you praise. For it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray tonight. Amen.